You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. My name is James, and um, I'm on staff here. I do a lot of things with uh, kids and families and small groups, and so, so glad uh, to see you guys. Uh, for those of you who've been here for years, and for those of you who may be your first week, I'm glad to be here and open God's Word um, with you, and uh, it's a joy, joy to do so. Um, but I, want, I wanted to start by just saying um, this. Well, first I should say, Ben Lorden, right here, if you have any questions for the Q&A after the sermon, go ahead and open your Slack and send any questions to Ben Lorden. Uh, is it Benjamin or Ben on Slack? It's just Ben. Classic Ben. Ben Lorden. If you have any questions, go ahead and, and fire them away. Um, but every, every summer of, of college, I don't know what you guys did in your summer breaks, but for me, uh, I worked at a youth Bible camp. And it was a camp in Iowa, of course, uh, and surrounded by cornfields, literally in the middle of nowhere. A Bible camp surrounded by cornfields. And I will say this, though, those four summers were the absolute best summers of my life. I mean, all day, every day, foosball, carpet ball, you with me? Carpet ball, basketball, swimming, canoeing, fishing, archery, I mean, the list goes on. Ice cream, like a staff, you get unlimited, it's like the, you, you get a dollar a day, but you get unlimited ice cream, right? Like, oh yeah, and, and chapel too, yes, I, I like that too. But camp is the best, right? Kids, if you haven't been to camp, go to camp. Even if you're an adult and you haven't worked at a camp, go work at one for a summer. Maybe not. But as I got to know the kids, as you return as staff, you get to know the kids that get to come every summer. Uh, As the kids kept coming back summer after summer, one of the things, and this might sound bizarre or crazy, but one of the things that the kids look forward to as they came back, and myself as well, was... Just this, at nighttime, and remember, we're in the middle of a cornfield, <laughs> but as the night fell, just the expansive farmland, darkened skies, just flooded with stars. Because most of these kids are coming from a city, right? But to come out into the country, to see a night flooded by bright, shining stars. And every night, we'd have to go to the bathhouse, we'd brush our teeth, and I, I don't know what other counselors did, but I would always take my campers up to the basketball court, and we would do our nightly devotions up there, on our backs, looking up at the stars. And it was just amazing, breathtaking, this expansive night sky filled with these shining stars. And, and I imagine, if, if, we were, if we took the time and went around this entire room I bet every single one of us has like that place in mind where the stars have shown most brightly for you, right? You're probably thinking of a place right now where you can vividly remember the stars shining brightly. And, and last week as, as Zach looked at the verses preceding ours, back in verse 15 of chapter 2, Paul wrote that as believers, as followers of Jesus in verse 15, that he says that we are to shine, uh, shine like lights, which literally means to shine like stars. As followers of Jesus, we're to shine like stars. And yet yet stars, they they don't shine for their own sake, for their own glory, do they? No, they shine to provide light, to provide light for the world. And, And the same, what Paul is saying, should be true for the follower of Jesus, that we live, that we shine for the sake of others. 
for the benefit of our world. And therefore, everything thus far that Paul has said, as we've been going verse, word by word in Philippians, everything he said thus far, Paul has devoted to instruct this ancient church of Philippi to this very calling to shine like stars, to live their lives consistent with the gospel that they might declare to an onlooking world the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus. And now we come into our text. And you heard it read. Ben did a great job. But if I think we might all come to the same conclusion as he got done reading that, of just like, well, Paul, that was terribly boring. <laughs> that was mundane. It was ordinary. It was boring. And it is. <laughs> it is. Like, what does this, everything that Ben just read there in in verses uh, 19 through 30, what does that have to do with anything that Paul has been so elegantly instructing the church to do in these first two chapters? I I mean, I guarantee you this, that that none of us are like raising our hands to say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute, these are my favorite verses. No, no, I, I can guarantee you none of us have these verses memorized, right? None of us. Because there's nothing sensational about what Paul writes here. Absolutely nothing. Like there's no hobbits disappearing. There's no acrobatic stunts. There's, There's nothing sensational. It's simply Paul talking about potential travel plans. Very mundane. And our temptation would be, and often is, to skip it. Yet if we do skip it, we miss something. We miss Paul propping up for us two shining examples. Two men of faith, two living illustrations who are shining like stars. Demonstrating by their lives the very things Paul has been instructing the church to do so far in this letter. We see Paul is switching from this dominant, powerful rhetoric to that of personal example. Which in many ways, at least for me, is actually more inspiring to look at living illustrations. And so before us today, we have Timothy and Epaphroditus. My man, Epaphroditus. We need to bring that name back. Two living illustrations that bring to life the exemplary way Paul has instructed this Philippi church to live. What it truly means to be a partner in the gospel, as he says in verse 5 of chapter 1. What it truly means to have an affection for Jesus and for his church, as Paul says in verse 7. What it truly means to live life every day worthy of the gospel, as Paul says in verse 27 of chapter 1. What it truly means to share the mind of Christ. Remember that in chapter 2? Paul says, share the mind of Christ. Have this mind. What does that mean? Well, here's two guys. Look at them. What it truly means to strive for unity and humility. We've been talking a lot about that, right? Unity, 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 humility, 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 right? What does that look like? Well, here's two guys that got it. And lastly, what it truly means to live in obedience without grumbling or complaint. Like, okay, Paul, who's doing that? Well, here's two guys that are. These two men love Jesus and love the church, shining examples of lives well lived for the sake of the gospel. 
And too often, I hear of family and friends that are just turned off from the gospel, not because of who God is, but because of who his followers are. You guys heard that before? And that grieves me, and it should grieve you too. That folks would choose never to believe in God because of our poor Christian witness. See, Paul says we need to shine as lights in our world. To provide light to a darkened, desperately lost world. How do we do that? Well, we learn from these two shining examples. Father God, we thank you for men like Timothy and Epaphroditus and the countless other men and women before us, showing us the way of what it looks like to live a life pleasing to you, worthy of the gospel. So Lord, I pray in these moments together this morning, Lord, that you would unlock your word to our hearts and our heart to your words. Lord, make us teachable in these moments together. In your precious name we pray, amen. Well, first we got Timothy, and we know a little bit about Timothy, don't we, as we read through Acts and through some of the epistles. And if we remember back in Acts chapter 16, hopefully some of you have been there as we've gone through Philippians, uh, when Paul plants this ancient church in Philippi, who's with him? Timothy, right? Timothy is with him. And so this church of Philippi, who Paul is writing to, and, and Timothy would have a strong relational and emotional connection, right? There's, there's a deep partnership and love for one another. So as we look at verses 19 through 24, as, as Paul talks about Timothy and these, these travel plans, we, we see that in, in one sense Paul's saying, hey, I, I can't send to you Timothy immediately. There, there's, a, there's a reason. We don't know why. Maybe the church was expecting Timothy to come soon. We, we don't know what the situation really was. Um, but at any, at any rate, in this travel itinerary, we see Paul's heartfelt words towards Timothy. In the middle of this potential travel itinerary, Paul has some heartfelt words for Timothy. Check it out with me. Verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So he wants to send Timothy. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. But catch this now. For I have no one like him. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And back to the travel plans. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I find two shining examples that Timothy puts forth for us in this passage. One, his compassion, and two, his companionship. Compassion and companionship. First, first compassion. Look with me in verse 20 again. Paul says this, For I have no one like him. I have no one like Timothy. And of course, Paul knows about every believer at this time, right? And certainly we see in the end of of Philippians, even where Paul is at, whether he's in Rome in prison or not, he says, uh, the brothers who are with me, chapter 4, verse 21, the brothers who are with me greet you. So he's with other Christians even as he writes this letter. So what makes Timothy stand out among all these other believers in his life? 
Well, Paul defines it as we continue reading in verse 20. I have no one like him. Why? He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all, all these others, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul says the, the others, or at least many, seek what? They seek their own interests. And back in chapter 1, Paul alludes to this, right? Saying that some preach Christ out of envy, a rivalry, but not Timothy. Rather, Timothy is in this group who preach Jesus out of love. And it's out of this love by which Timothy, he actually shares this mind of Christ. And Paul's description right here, it mirrors so well what he has just written earlier a few verses ago in chapter 2. Familiar verses, as he says in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Isn't that almost the same thing that he says about Timothy? And we know as we read from Acts, that from an early age, and some would say as early as a a teenager for him, Timothy, that Timothy demonstrates this mind, this this mind of compassion of others. How, How Timothy joins in Paul's missionary adventures at a young age, joining alongside him for many years, planning churches and displaying time and time again this mind, this genuine compassion to see the church of Jesus flourish. We can read all about that in Acts for many years, from an early age. Literally all of Timothy's life was selflessly given to serve the needs of others. Compassion. See, Timothy served not with self-centered motives. He served out of a singular interest in the purpose of Jesus. Timothy served not for the admiration of others. He served for the adoration of Jesus. Timothy served not to make a name for himself. He served out of compassion for people. What kind of leader do you follow? We need Timothys to fill our church. Compassionate selfless, servant leaders following Jesus. We need to listen to these type of leaders, to hear their voices, to watch their lives. What kind of leader are you? What kind of leader are you? Leaders who shine like stars are not leaders self-absorbed, living in pursuit of some self-serving motive or admiration of others. No. Leaders who shine like stars are leaders enthralled by the person of Jesus. Leaders who are in humility, eagerly looking to serve the interests of others for the glory of Jesus. Timothy's compassion And secondly, we see his companionship, his companionship. Look with me in verse 22. Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. How as a son with a father. Those are intimate words. Paul loves 
Timothy as a spiritual son. See, Timothy wasn't just a volunteer in some organization. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. There was intimacy between them. Deep bonds. And this is, it's it's interesting, right? Because Paul is this great apostle and Timothy is perhaps this young teenager. And yet Paul levels the playing field. And he opens his letter by saying that him, Paul and Timothy, they're what? They're servants together of Jesus Christ. Both of them servants of Jesus Christ. They've been through fires. We read through Acts. They've been through fire advancing the gospel in the midst of much hardship for many years. And so it allows Paul to say there in verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. He's talking about the character of Timothy. When the church in Corinth was caught up in horrific things, who does Paul send? He sends Timothy. When Paul's imprisoned and, and, and he needs somebody to shepherd the people in Ephesus, who does he send? He sends Timothy. Over and over we read time and time again that Timothy is one of Paul's most trusted partners in the gospel. And the striking note about this companionship, this bond that has been formed because of their relationship of of, of advancing the gospel is is highlighted here in verse 23. As, As Paul says, he says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. You see, Paul couldn't dispatch Timothy immediately because Paul treasured Timothy's companionship. Paul treasured Timothy's companionship so dearly. Timothy was a true friend, sustaining Paul through a very difficult time in his life. Good friends are those that serve and care for you like Jesus serves and cares for you. Setting aside their own needs to provide for your needs. Do you have friends like that in your life? I hope you do. And maybe more importantly, are, are you a friend like that? Are you a friend like that? Do you care for those in your life as Jesus would care for them? Meaning we, we have to be present in the relationships that God gives us in our, in our lives. We have to be present for each other. We have to speak truth in love. We have to strengthen our brothers and sisters in, in their weakness. We need to pray for each other. We need to help lift their arms where they are tired. This is Timothy, a compassionate companion who spends the entirety of his life selflessly serving Jesus and his church well secondly we got our brother Epaphroditus here Paul's not sending Timothy immediately but he is sending somebody else Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus we don't know much about him other than what Paul writes here but we do know that he's a, he's a man that's actually from this very church in Philippi so of course these, these folks know him well he's one of their own So look with me at verse 25. Here's what Paul says. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. 
For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him, the Lord, with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And if we were to go to chapter 4, verse 18, we see that Paul mentions Epaphroditus as the one who's, who's given him a gift. Evidently, the church has sent him and trusted him to send this gift to Paul while Paul was in prison. We see that in verse 18. I have received full uh, payment and more. I'm well supplied, supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And at some point, whether on the journey to Paul or whether when he was with Paul, Epaphroditus becomes extremely ill, right? Near death. We don't know when. We don't know what it was. All we know is that it almost killed him, right? So let's consider two aspects of Epaphroditus' shining example for us this morning. One, obedience, and two, gospel risk. One, obedience, and two, gospel risk. We see Epaphroditus' obedience. It's highlighted as we read here in verse 26. As Paul says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus is the one who has been sick, who's nearly died. Yet we don't read of of Paul saying he was filled with self-pity, right? That's not what Paul says. Actually, the opposite. Epaphroditus is not concerned about himself. He's actually more concerned about the anxiety that it's produced upon the Philippian church. And having just been sick myself, this is a challenging example. Because I don't know about you, but when I get sick, I turn massively inward. I want my mom. I'm 38 years old. (laughs) Mom, I want you to know I'm sick. I need some soup and crackers. But this is much worse than the common flu. Epaphroditus is literally a breath away from dying. Yet he looks to the interests of others, even in his sickness. And this word for distress, you see it there in verse 26, that he has been distressed. This word for distress is only used once elsewhere. In the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was distressed. Anguish prior to his death. You see, even with death at his doorstep, Epaphroditus, like Jesus, is concerned more about others than himself. As Jesus was obedient to death, Philippians 2.8, Epaphroditus was obedient to the point of death, fulfilling the gospel mission he'd been entrusted to carry out. Perhaps someone has asked you before, well, as a Christian, what's different about your life compared to mine? What's different? Now, you could, and I have at times, you could open the Bible and point out some theology. That might be a good start. But what if if we switched it and said, you know what? Come, come, Come be with me for a month. You probably can't live with somebody for a month, but come watch me for a month. And you tell me. Watch me for a month, and you tell me what's different. 
When Paul pens the the famous passage here in verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2, we see the beautiful obedience of Jesus' life on full display, right? And we glimpse that full display in the life of Epaphroditus in verses 19 through 30. We see that type of life being obediently lived out, committed to the things of God, even to the point of death. Would someone see an Epaphroditus-type obedience in you if they washed you for a month? Epaphroditus' obedience, and secondly, gospel risk that he takes. Paul tells us there in verse 30 that he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking. And Paul uses a verb here to to express risked his life, which literally means to to roll the dice. It's a gambling term, 50-50 odds. Willingly exposing yourself to the dangers or harm that are out there. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to gamble. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus did. He put his life on the line. He embarked on a six-week journey, traveling 800 miles over treacherous terrain and water, all in an effort to obediently carry out the gospel mission the church had entrusted to him to complete, to deliver this gift, to sustain Paul, to continue the gospel work. You see, Epaphroditus loved Jesus. He loved his church. He loved Paul. He loved the gospel. He loved the gospel so dearly that he literally was okay to risk his life for the sake of his love, the gospel. And yeah, he nearly died. The risk was real. And some of us may be thinking, well, maybe there was some sort of payout. There always is. Someone doesn't take risk unless there's reward, right? But what did he have to gain? Not an empire, not a fortune of wealth, not fame, not popularity. No, there's nothing for him to gain in completing this mission. Epaphroditus risked his life for the sake of another human being. That's character. I don't know if we have a better example of a sacrificial life than Epaphroditus. What are you risking your life for? What are you risking your life for? None of us like risk, do we? I don't. We grow to great, we go to great lengths to eliminate all risk from our lives, don't we? We crave comfort and security. I've been on edge with the stock market lately. We crave comfort and security. We install burglar alarms. We put up fences. We install gates. We minimize any threat of harm in our lives. And I think often we expend so much of our effort creating a safe life that we leave absolutely nothing in our life to risk or give away. But what is it that we're truly scared of losing anyway? What are you truly scared of losing? For even in death, for the Christian, it's not even loss, it's gain. 
This is Epaphroditus, an obedient risk taker who risked everything to obediently fulfill the gospel mission entrusted to him. Well, here's Timothy and Epaphroditus, shining examples. We have a compassionate companion, an obedient risk taker. But hear this now. We need to hear this now. These are two very, very ordinary men. Two very ordinary men faithfully living out their love for Jesus in everyday life. And as a result, extraordinary things happened. Churches were planted, people were won to Christ, and the gospel work 2,000 years later is still going forth. So let me close with two encouragements for us as a church that I think we need to hear. One is this, that the church has always been sustained and built, yes, by Jesus, but the church has always been sustained and built by unsung heroes. Now, I'm going to totally butcher this, and I'm okay with it. I hope you are too. But if you go to Romans chapter 16... Here's a list of unsung heroes. I don't know how to say any of these names. So let's just have some fun. But these are some unsung heroes that I bet you don't even know about. Are you ready? This is Paul recognizing heroes of the church, the early church. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. I think I got that one. And that will be the only one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever, uh, whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church and their house. Greet my beloved Epidentius, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andracus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampletus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Epilus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia, Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, or Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asecretus, Phlegoen, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nurius, and his sister, and Olympias, and all the saints who are with them. Wow, I even practiced that, and that was awful. I think we need Linda Johnson next service. Are you here, Linda? I'm going to invite Linda up next service, because she probably knows how to say all those. That was awful. But I think when we think about the early church, we think about the apostles, right? But as I read through that list, how many apostles' names were read?
the apostles did not do all the work in the early church. The church has always been filled with men and women, mothers, sisters, brothers. Some don't even get named. They're just those who worked hard. (laughs) Close to being in Scripture. Men and women, servants of Jesus, living as sent ones, laboring to build up the church for the glory of Jesus. Church, I I don't want you to get the impression that you don't have an important role to play in this church. Because you do. You do play an important role in this church today. Which is the second encouragement that I have for you. Is that right now what you do matters for making the name of Jesus beautiful. That what you do right now matters for making the name of Jesus beautiful. I want to read to you a quote from an old theologian that I thought was just crush. Here it is. He says this, To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. Don't we think that sometimes? Like, sign me up, Lord, I'm I'm ready. He says, we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that God sends us to the bank and has us cash in $1,000 for quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Meaning this, we listen to the neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. We go to a committee meeting. We give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It'd be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. Isn't that good? I'm not sure it's easy to go out in a flash of glory. But his point is clear. That faithful Christian living for us today involves the pouring out of our lives little by little in practical acts of obedience over the long haul. Faithful Christian living involves pouring out our lives little by little in practical acts of obedience over the long haul. It involves, as the author says, to give out quarters every day. 25 cents, 50 cents, 25 cents. It's having the lonely neighbor over for dinner It's babysitting for the single mother. It's inviting international students into your home. It's doing or pursuing foster care. It's intentionally praying with friends who who need your support. It's visiting the sick or the imprisoned. It's giving out quarters every day. That's what Timothy and Epaphroditus did. Faithfully pursuing Jesus won't always look extraordinary you hear that faithful faithfully pursuing Jesus won't always look extraordinary and that's okay 
We're not called or expected to be Apostle Paul's giants in the faith like Billy Graham or John Piper. That, that's, not, that's, not, that's not what's expected of us. God has called us ordinary, everyday people to go spend some quarters today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives, for the good of others, and for the glory of King Jesus. And as we do, as we do, the darkened skies of our lost world will light up. The darkened skies of our lost world will be lit up with the light of who Jesus is. Let's go spend some quarters. Amen? Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for the examples that we have here with Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and all those saints listed in Romans, those who have gone before us. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who are already doing such an incredible job of faithfully living their lives worthy of the gospel. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you invite us to be part of this great adventure of making, um, allowing, of seeing the world know you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to walk faithfully and humbly, united together, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Help us to do that well together as a church. May our light shine brightly here at the Vine Church and every other church here in Madison. May your kingdom come, your will be done. It's your name we pray, amen.